Hello and welcome to Mental Awakening, the podcast that explores all topics related to trauma recovery, mental health, chronic pain, and healing. I'm your host, Sarah DeKeeley, psychotherapist and mental health social worker. And in this episode, I will speak about the importance of joy, why joy is such a crucial component to nervous system repair, how we can let go of our resistance to joy, and ways that we can embrace more joy in our lives. Hi everybody, welcome back to another episode with me. Today I want to talk about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. The importance of joy, why we need joy, and more than anything I want to talk about the resistance that we can often experience around having more joy in our lives, even though deep down we all want to be happy. But the state of joy is something that we can resist, especially as we get older in life and things happen. Life happens and those incidents can have a lasting impact on us, especially when we're dealing with grief and loss of any kind. So I want to talk about why joy is so important. If you observe children, you'll see that they're often a lot more joyous than we are as adults. As adults, we tend to need substances or, you know, something external, something that we're quite conditional about in order to be happy. Whereas children, they don't have that. They're a lot more connected to what we call self-energy, which is that state of curiosity and compassion and creativity you know, confidence, connectedness, clarity, calm, and so on. But as adults, you know, because of the different things that happen in life, we can lose sight of that. And often things like breakups, you know, housing challenges, natural disasters, health problems, loss of any kind, any shape or form, can contribute to these impacts that can disconnect us, you know, further disconnect us from self-energy and that sense of joy. And so loss of joy in these contexts is a natural part of the human experience. Joy, I just want to clarify, it's different to happiness, even though they're often used interchangeably. Happiness technically refers to the pleasurable feeling that results from a situation, right, from an experience. Whereas joy is a state of mind that can be found even in times of grief or uncertainty. So even when we're in pain, we can cultivate joy independent of our circumstances. I want to really be clear about that because we're not, you know, talking about false positivity here. We're not talking about pretending to feel good. The neurobiology of joy is complex. You know, there are... A few things to bear in mind, such as dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins. And, you know, we're all a chemical factory. (laughs) And if our body's not producing these hormones, then it's hard for us to tap into some of these higher positive feelings. So the effect of neurotransmitters on the body are quite broad. And it have to do with everything from relaxing your muscles to speeding up your heart rate through exercise. Because these things really do promote 
feeling good. They do promote a sense of joy. And also having a sense of purpose, enjoying supportive relationships, you know, being part of a community and so on. So there's a lot of different factors involved. There's biological factors, there's environmental factors, and then there's the relationship with self, the relationship that you have with yourself and with life. I want to first start by talking about how much our nervous system is involved when it comes to us experiencing joy. And I want to speak from the framework of what we call the polyvagal theory or the polyvagal ladder. And if you don't know much about this, then please do look into the work of Deb Dana. Deb Dana wrote quite a bit about the polyvagal theory. And I believe that you need to have some knowledge of it because mapping your nervous system is really important in order for you to have better awareness of what's actually happening inside of yourself, you know, for you to really understand, you know, the difference between the, the states that we get caught up in. So the fight, flight, freeze and fawn, what happens in those states and what is your current state? I believe that we need to have this awareness pretty much all day, <laughs> if we can, to really have this embodiment and this awareness of where we're at but often we get very caught up in our mind we get caught up in our automatic um, habits and thought patterns and we don't slow down enough to really tune in with what's happening for us internally and to also sit with the discomfort of what's perhaps there for us in that moment a discomfort that often the mind will do everything to dismiss, distract from, and just, you know, avoid, basically. So doing a map of your nervous system helps you to begin to speak the language of your body and to create this partnership with your nervous system by exploring the subtle language of, you know, the sensations of the body. And this is how we build that autonomic awareness. So, for example, for me, whenever I'm in my ventral vagal state, which is the state of feeling calm, connected, you know, it's the state we call the window of tolerance and the state where we're basically at home inside of ourselves. We, we feel peaceful, we feel in the flow, we're present, communication is easy, we're compassionate, we feel connected to the world around us and to ourselves. Um, when I'm in that state, I know that my body feels so much more relaxed. My thoughts are more positive. I have more energy. My, you know, energetic channels are aligned, right? But when I'm in my, you know, sympathetic state, which is the fight, flight, freeze state, or actually it's just the fight, flight state, the freeze state is the dorsal vagal state. Um, I feel worried, you know, my sense of urgency increases, I feel on edge, I feel impatient, my jaw and neck muscles tighten, my stomach is in a bit of a knot, my thoughts get really racy, my heart beats faster, and I'm constantly feeling like, you know, I'm just not feeling at peace in myself, I don't feel easy. 
I feel more heat in my body. I feel very overwhelmed. And that's when I'm shifting into what I what we call the dorsal vagal. This is the free state, right? So that's when you start to feel numb, disconnected from your body. You, you know, you feel perhaps a bit foggy and dizzy or helpless or depressed, exhausted, you know, your hands and feet are cold. You kind of start having thoughts around how everything is overwhelming. You have no energy for anything. For some people, they may also experience suicidal ideations. You just don't want to be here, right? And that's when the body is preparing for that shutdown mode, shutdown from life in order to actually um, recharge, as strange as that sounds. So becoming aware of what's happening, you know, within our um, physiology and our nervous system is really important because it just gives you that sense of understanding that, you know, not to take things personally. So if you are in a specific state, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It just means that you need to work with that state. So instead of resisting it, we need to support it. We need to understand it. And that's when we can get back to a place of flow. We need to soothe it. So we're going to look at the, um, there's three things that I like to mention here as well called regulation, resourcing, and resilience. And this is something that we need to work through, um, you know, and very important for nervous system repair. So regulation is our ability to move in and out of this adaptive state that our body has available. So we're not really meant to be in one state all day long and forever and ever. <laughs> we're meant to go in and out of all of these states and be flexible. So we want a flexible nervous system that can you know, be adaptable and that can actually tolerate stress in a way that doesn't feel overwhelming. So our goal is not to stay stuck in one state, right? We sometimes need to be angry. Grief is necessary, right? We need to sometimes shut down and retrieve. So we want to move in and out of all of these states. And that's the essence, not to get stuck. So when we're talking about regulation, that's what we're referring to. And then when we're talking about resourcing, that's the ability to support ourselves internally with practices and frameworks and different tools so that we can actually, you know, support ourselves as well as, you know, have the support of, I guess, community or social networks to regulate ourselves through the different challenges of our lives. So we can't do this stuff completely on our own. And then finally, we have resilience, which speaks for itself, and that's the ability to regulate and resource ourselves as we meet challenges in life. So that means that we can adapt, you know, and that means that we can meet these challenges with the least amount of negative consequences to our well-being. And that's not about just sucking it up and soldiering on. It means that we do our best with our tools to regulate and our resources to minimize the impact of the challenges. And if we're okay, you know, if we get stressed and it's hard for us to get through those challenges, that's okay. That's what it means to be human. But we really don't give up on that process. We just get better at how we meet those challenges. So 
we can't have one of these three R's without the other. We need all of, you know, all three, regulation, resourcing, and resilience. They have to work together. And that's how we can tap into a feeling of safety in our nervous system and our body. And we can continue to actively nurture and nourish ourselves throughout our lives. I want to just highlight that because I think when we're talking about joy, it's not really just the state of mind. It's also the state of your nervous system that you need to bear in mind because the mind and the body are in constant communication with each other. It's a top down and bottom up approach. So it's not just one way or the other. It's not just a matter of changing your thoughts. It's also about working with the body. It's also why a lot of times there is a strong resistance around experiencing joy. There's, you know, the impact um, of lack of shadow work, which means that if you witness someone else being joyous and happy, it can really put you off and it can really make you feel yucky and you can reject them because of what you're rejecting within yourself and because of whatever it is that's inside of you that you haven't faced or dealt with. Plus, what's happening within your nervous system. You know, the dysregulation that's been there for a long, long time, which is the case for most people. That's why we can be very reactive as human beings, because we're constantly living in that state of fight and flight. So it's really important that you ask yourself on a daily basis, if not several times per day, what am I sensing in my body? Where is energy moving where is energy not moving? Do I feel filled? Do I feel empty? What state is active in this moment? What thoughts are present for me in this moment? And as you pay attention, you know, thoughtful attention to these messages that your nervous system is sending you, you can actually work with that and soothe and support and understand to bring safety through sensing the steadiness of perhaps you know, the surface that you're sitting on through grounding, through, you know, breathing and really moving towards the discomfort that may be present as opposed to running away from it and further enhancing, you know, the state of fight and flight that may be active or completely shutting off if the free state is active within you. So to get to joy, we have to understand our nervous system. And that's something that I really can't stress enough. So I'm here to talk about joy and why that's such a potent medicine. Um, I want to start by sharing a bit with you about my personal experience with this. When I was 17 years old, I developed anorexia and then bulimia for over a decade. I came very close to losing my life. And not long, long after I you know, started my recovery journey, I felt pregnant and then had to go through a few other painful events where I was again very close to losing my life. I got through that as well and then went through a series of chronic pain, chronic dizziness, chronic anxiety, autoimmune thyroid disease, relationship breakdown, homelessness, financial hardship, isolation, you know, changing countries, feeling like an outsider, feeling emotionally unseen and unsafe in the company of people that I loved. And new in my life. So I guess in many ways you could say that my journey led to this experience of being completely stripped away from everything that we consider in our culture to be reasons for happiness. Relationship, finances, health, community, belonging. 
And this is where I learned about the importance of joy and this question of why even bother with joy? What's the point of it? Well, I want to share that what I realized through the different challenges and hardships in my life is that I'm a fighter. <laughs> I'm a fighter and I believe we're all born as fighters. And despite my highly sensitive nature, which I've later come to understand was mainly due to nervous system dysregulation and that disconnection from the self energy, right? Disconnection from my intuitive self um, or higher self, whatever word you want to put it, my understanding of energy and God and love and life and so on. That disconnection has led to this continuous state of living in fear, you know, as opposed to living from a place of joy, from a place of love, from a place of safety. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be in that state 24 hours a day. Like I said before, our nervous system needs to be flexible and it will always go in and out of the different states, right? What I'm trying to get to here is that we can't be conditional about joy, right? We have to actually, first of all, fight for it. Even when we don't feel like we have the energy to do that, we don't have the energy to thrive, we don't have the time, we don't have the desire. You have to remember that you do have a fighter inside of you. And that's really important that no matter what happens in life, we actually have joy within us. And it's about finding it, recognizing it, identifying it and holding it. That's the work. And once I started to understand that, you know, it's not about looking for healing to get to joy, but it was about looking for joy to heal. You know, it's not about finding your power through finding joy, but it's about finding joy to claim your power. And these things are really important to bear in mind because it's not about false positivity. It really isn't. It's about understanding that, you know, joy is an invitation to a different way of holding life. I look at my daily joy practice, which is to paint, to be creative, to do things that are artistic, to sometimes even put on some music and dance, no matter what's happening in my life. And I've come to recognize that joy is very different to happiness. Happiness is a cognitive construct. There's nothing I can tell you about war or violence or loss of life and so on that's happy, which is what's happening in our world today. It just really comes down to how we evaluate the world, how we evaluate our lives and what's happening, you know, because I really have come to recognize that joy con comes from the same deep well as our pain. I wrote about it even in my book. There was a little subchapter about joy and how it comes from the same deep place as our capacity for love, for meaning, for connection. It's so important for us to understand that. It's our birthright to have joy. It really is. We were born with it. No one can take it. 
from us, no one can give it to us. And when we confuse joy with happiness, we end up actually doing ourselves and others a disservice. Because that means that there's a condition attached to it. I have to have this thing happen before I can feel good. My body has to be healthy before I can feel joy. And that is what I call resistance because that actually sets us back. Interestingly enough, it's when I stopped thinking that way that my body started to heal, that everything started to feel better because I stopped being conditional about my vulnerability and the different chapters of my life. The same thing goes for our relationship with other people. We can be very conditional in the way that we love others. We love them for what we want them to fulfill for us, or perhaps for what we want them to do or to feel or to be in order to soothe our nervous system, our anxiety. And so that's not love, right? And the same thing goes with joy. When you are conditional about it, you just distance yourself further from it. So what we want to do is we want to practice, first of all, getting to understand our nervous system and our different states, but then also to embrace our vulnerability, to know that being human means that there's a lot of things that I'm going to experience in this life that are hard, that are difficult, that I'm not going to really want to be in and be with. And yet opening myself up for that vulnerability and embracing that vulnerability is actually what's going to give me the power, the energy to face the exact thing that I don't want to face. That's suffering that grief, that sadness, that weakness, whatever the case may be. I think the way we talk about this language, you know, internal dialogue is really important too, because if we just keep looking at it from the perspective of this victim consciousness that all of these things are happening to me and, you know, when am I going to get to feel happy? When am I going to get a break? When am I going to get to a place of joy? then that doesn't really serve us. So what we want to do is we want to, you know, instead ask ourselves, when do I get to make time for joy? When do I practice joy? When do I reclaim joy as an experience in my body? Because you have to take personal responsibility. Otherwise, none of this stuff works. That's just how it is. So joy is elusive. It comes and it goes and so does pain. Both are elusive. But we tend to often hold on to the pain longer than the joy. And it's really part of our primal instinct. It's part of our survival mechanism and also what our brain is biologically wired to do in order to keep us safe. What I'm trying to say is that we have to become intentional in how we hold on to joy to make it matter, to make it count, to remember it, to write about it, to think about it, to meditate on it, you know? Really just reflecting on it, breathing with it, bringing it into your life because there's neurochemical cascades that happen when we do that. Our brain responds to life differently when we make time for joy. 
And one way to tap into joy is through play. Play is essential for our health, for our, you know, the functioning of our well-being, nervous system and so on, both in children as well as adults. It leads to stress reduction, brain development, emotional regulation, motor skills, social connection, adaptability, relaxation, physical health, and so on. So a lot of research has consistently shown that adults who don't have play in their life and spend more time in their rational thinking mind and avoid engaging in play have less enjoyment. They're less imaginative. They're less curious and, you know, joyful. I believe that joy is a revolutionary act in our body. It's how we get through the challenges of our lives. If I didn't have my creativity, if I didn't make time for play and joy every day, I don't think I would, you know, be who I am today. I don't think I would get through a lot of the things that life has thrown at me and continues to sometimes throw at me. You know, that's just the nature of life, right? We're always going to have our challenges because we're here to grow in consciousness. Whether you see life that way or not, it's just how life is. And if it wasn't for, you know, making time to play, to tap into the world of imagination and wonder, I would struggle to see the bright side. But thanks to this practice that I have with joy, which also helps me connect with my inner child and to soothe and support that part of myself, I feel that I live more in a state of love as opposed to a state of fear, which also allows me to be more present and also helps my body to relax more, which minimizes symptoms and in fact diminishes symptoms in time. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys um, a few ideas as to where you can get started. And the first thing you can do is to start making a joy list. What brings you joy? And even though it's a simple question, when was the last time you really thought about that? Because often we think about what makes us unhappy as opposed to what makes us joyous. So really making time to reflect on that. And it can be something as small as that first sip of coffee in the morning or the smell of fresh air or the smell of fresh sheets and fresh towels. It could be really simple things that just make, make you feel joyous or happy or just even peaceful. It doesn't always have to be a static states that we're seeking here, but just even a state of peace, a state of calm, where you start to notice that your nervous system is very gently repairing or shifting into that ventral vagal state. I know for me, when I do service, and I'm referring to service in the sense of giving back to the community, um, supporting others, that really does move my heart. It does bring joy to my life. Even though I've done it on days where I've been incredibly exhausted and tired, I still feel a sense of joy. Whenever I focus on self-care, go to nature, exercise, eat good food, um, creativity always, I, I do that literally every day. That brings me a lot of joy. I think giving back in general can make us feel joyous because it makes us feel strong. Obviously, within reason, if your cup's empty, fill your cup first, as opposed to trying to give from an empty cup. The other thing is 
add some color to your life, add some color to your home. I find that furnishing the house with color, having art in your home, wearing colorful clothes, in general, there's been numerous studies that have shown that there's a, I think it was a research um, they did across four countries that found that people that work in vibrant or live in vibrant, colorful places were not more only more alert, but they were also more joyful and more friendly than people who didn't live in those kind of environments. Because color is associated with positive emotion bright colors in particular. So I think that's important. Exercise goes without saying, you know that already. Um, savoring joyful moments, both big and small. You know, listening to birds singing outside of your window. Sometimes something as small as that can just be dismissed when in fact it does bring a lot of joy and calm to our nervous system. And they've done numerous studies to prove that. Not that we need more studies to prove things, but they have done them. <laughs> so basically we're talking about mindfulness and you know that practice of becoming really present and really tuning into all the tiny things that we take for granted. And so mindfulness and gratitude are also practices that can really help us with connecting to our joy and joy doesn't necessarily always have to be like I said a static it can also be just that moment or feeling of peace that you feel inside of you that connectedness this is where wonder seeking comes to mind for me wonder seeking is about looking for things that delight us uplift us not necessarily stepping over what's hard or what's difficult and only looking for the bright side, but rather knowing that by turning towards what's difficult, by working with what's true, we become more brave, we become more resilient. I want to end this podcast by talking about creativity because I really believe that creativity has the power to heal us. We're born as creative creatures. As babies, we, we know how to be creative. And yet... You know, because of our environment, like I've mentioned before, and this materialistic yang society where the conventional wisdom is to focus on the end result first, we, we always tend to disconnect from the, you know, the very thing that helps us stay on the path, enjoy the journey, smell the roses, right? So what we end up doing is, if only I can have what I want and do what I want, and finally be who I want to be, and have my body be the way I want it to be, then I'm going to go and do what I really want to do. But the opposite of that is true. If we want to have, first we have to do, and before we can do, we must be. So all the doing is born from presence. All having is born from being. And I really believe in that because that's also where creativity comes in. Creativity helps us in being. It helps us in presence and experiencing, you know, this moment, really being fully in it. I believe that creativity is the path to joy. Well, 
one of the paths to joy, but it's definitely been a, a significant path to joy for me. And recognizing and honoring creativity as a sacred path unto itself is what I'm referring to here. That it's not about having a lot of talent. It's not about perfect technique or impressive education. It's about unlearning the limitations and conditioning that separate us from our instinctive and spontaneous creative nature. And really just allowing yourself to explore, to be a wonder seeker, to know that you are an artist. Whatever art means to you, it really doesn't matter. It's like creativity can be anything from writing to cooking to painting and taking photographs. You know, it can be making music. It can be drawing. It can be, you know, putting flowers together nicely. You know, it's like it really doesn't matter what it is you're doing as long as it's something that helps you tap into that creative energy because it's not something that we need to learn. You know, we've been trained by society and culture to suppress a lot of our creative gifts. We're taught that productivity is important and more important than imagination, that following rules is more important than following intuition. And these things have been instilled within us from a young age, and they're very hard lessons to, to break away from. And so creativity is something that can really help us connect with that yin energy that I've talked about in previous episodes. You know, it's about flow, it's about receptivity, it's about setting aside the ego's agenda and to be guided by that intuition within, to be present, you know. And I really believe that if you, if there's one thing you can take away from this podcast episode, it's to explore this idea of making time for joy through creativity. I want to leave you guys with a quote by one of my favorite poets, a Persian poet called Rumi. And he says, sorrow prepares you for joy. It violently sweeps everything out of your house so that new joy can find space to enter. It shakes the yellow leaves from the bow of your heart so that fresh green leaves can grow in their place. It pulls up the rotten roots so that new roots hidden beneath have room to grow. Whatever sorrow shakes from your heart, far better things will take their place. Okay, everybody, that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcast. And if you know anyone who will benefit from this episode, please feel free to share it with them. If you would like to work with me, you can find me on mentalawakening.com.au. I look forward to speaking to you all again in about a month's time for another episode. Until then, take care, everybody. Bye for now.